Aren't you glad for the truth of that? It is truth. It's in the title of the song. Truth, truth, truly, truly, I say unto you. He that believeth on the Son, it's true. And I sung that song many, many times, but as I was singing it there just now, I noticed something about it. It says, message ever true and message ever new. Well, that's not a new message. That's the old, old story, isn't it? Well, it's in part of the Bible. Right in the middle of the Bible, there's like this blank page. You got one of those in your Bible? And, and the, the part before the blank page in the middle is called the what? Old Testament. The part after that blank page is called the New Testament. Another word for testament is covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood given to you. He that believeth on the Son, tis true, hath everlasting life. What a beautiful message. What a wonderful New Testament covenant that God has given to us in His Word, and it is true. Take your Bible in Mark chapter 5, is where we are in our series in Mark. Let me make a correction. I said a minute ago concerning our um, meal ministry that Amanda Heishman is uh, getting that together, and I'm sorry, that's Amanda Ambler. And... uh, as soon as I said it after a little bit, I thought, wait a minute, something's not right with that. And it's confusing because there's an Amy Heishman in their family as well. So it's Amanda Ambler. We appreciate Amanda Ambler's ministry uh, with that. And we're so thankful for the Sanger, little Ruby, being born and healthy and all. And we're, we're praising the Lord with them today. Um, Mark chapter 5 is where we are in our series In Mark, in the beginning of Mark chapter 5, the first part of this chapter, we saw uh, the amazing account of this man who came out of the tombs, possessed with devils, and how the Lord had great power over this man's uh, serious problem. And now, in the second part of Mark chapter 5, we're going to come across two, two more individuals with two more very serious problems and see the power of our Savior in their lives and hopefully the Lord will be able to use it tonight to bring comfort to our hearts as He reveals more about Himself, more about who He is and what He's like and how He works and what He thinks of us, His creation. This is the whole point of coming together and opening the Word of God is to learn about our God to learn about our Lord and our Savior. So let's read through the passage, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we will uh, get into it more. So Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. Mark 5, beginning with verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him, that is Jesus, greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, 
which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind him, and she touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came one of the ruler of the synagogue came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and saith unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted damsel, or little girl, or some translations say little lamb, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment, and he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for the miracle that we hold in our hands, these ancient accounts, Holy Spirit inspired, uh, of our Savior, of our Lord. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray tonight that you will help us as we delve into it a little bit, into these accounts. Again, God, to have a clearer understanding of your love for your creation for people, of your concern, of your understanding, of your sensitivity, and Lord, of what you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. Lord, we just pray that you'll help our eyes to be opened as we pray often. We pray that you'll help us to each apply these things to our own lives as the Holy Spirit puts his finger on things that we need to apply it to. God, we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. May your spirit lead us and guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Here is one story, one story of two different peoples kind of interwoven together. Uh, Two, really, two stories interwoven into one story. Um, Two accounts of hopeless situations and who found a Savior, two people who found a Savior who could bring victory into the most impossible of situations. A Savior who is teaching people and us, as we look into these accounts, that with faith, it is really true that nothing is impossible. But your faith has to be in the right object. With faith in the right one, nothing is impossible. I love verse 36, and really this to me is kind of the key of the whole thing. Verse 36, the Lord said at the end of verse 36, Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Boy, if we could learn that right there. We could take that verse right there and sit on that the rest of the night. And and meditate on it. And think about it. And apply it to our own lives. And our own situations. Be not afraid. Have you ever been there? Only believe. Only believe. Both of these individuals in this account are suffering. This ruler of the synagogue, this suffering woman who's not named. We can relate and have sympathy um, as we read these accounts because the things that they're dealing with are nothing new. We don't read these accounts and say, well, that's odd. Somebody's dying. We know what that's like, don't we? Many of you know what that's like more than some of us as people in your own life that you were very close to um, have passed away and gone into eternity and died. It's nothing new that somebody's sick and has this disease. We can relate with this. We can have sympathy with this, especially as we've experienced the same or been close to those who have uh, experienced these things. We see at the end of this story that Jesus has truly come to bring peace and joy into situations of real sorrow, real hurting, real turmoil. We've already seen this throughout the book as we've gone through it, and the casting out of demons, uh, people being already, we've seen healed of diseases, crippled men walking, the blind seeing. If we include the first part of the Mark chapter 4 with the demoniac, the man who was possessed with the devils, um, we have three people here that ended up at the feet of Jesus Christ. We have, first of all, one suffering with literal demon possession. And we see him, as soon as Christ gets off the boat, running to Jesus, falling at his feet, and worshiping him. We see now one suffering with a disease. This woman who's not named, who comes and touches the hem of his garment, falling at his feet. And then we see one facing certain death of a loved one, a ruler of the synagogue, coming to Jesus, and it says, falling at his feet, and pleading with him to come and help him with the death of his daughter who's dying. And we see that Jesus Christ has all power. Do you all believe the stories that we see in these scriptures? They're not, as Dad said uh, this morning and at other times, these aren't just stories that we open up. I enjoy taking, 
with my children, reading stories to them. And we'll take a book and we'll read little accounts and they're fun. But these aren't like that. This is, this is historical accounts of things that really happen. Jesus showing us His power over all of these kinds of situations, over all of these things that are the result of sin. What do we mean by that? That all these people sin? Is that why they had disease? Not necessarily. They've all sinned. What we mean by that is the result of the fall. This curse that we live in the midst of in this world has brought such devastation, such sorrow, such hurting, so many hard feelings. We could go on and on, couldn't we? Such pain, literal physical pain, emotional pain, this curse of sin. But Jesus Christ has power over all of it. All power, even over the weather patterns in this world. We're seeing this as we go through this book. Well, verse 21, here's the account. When Jesus had passed over again by ship to the other side. He's just dealt with the man possessed with the demons. He's left um, that, we won't get into all that again, but he's, he's taken ship back to the other side of this great lake. And... Um, as these men have uh, left this, uh, going back into the lake that Jesus had just recently spoken to, uh, the storm, and it obeyed him. On the other side, there's a great multitude, the Bible says in verse 21, that is gathered about him. And he's continuing now his work. We see Jesus in Mark just working, just going, continuously, just serving. He is the servant, son of God in the book of Mark that we see serving His Father, obeying Him in every single thing. And the Bible says that this great crowd, much people, had gathered. Verses 24 and 31 uses the word thronging Him. They're thronging Him. The thought is that of such a crowd as it's pressing in on Him. Impossible to move easily. Have you ever been in a crowd like that? I'm a little claustrophobic. I don't go splunking, is that what they call it, and caving and all of that kind of thing, and no thank you. That's not me. And I've been in some situations where you're in a crowd like that and, and you can't get out. You ever been there? I think one time at the Walk for Life, I remember, we, in, in Washington, years ago, we took our family there and, and we were in a crowd like that, kind of trying to move uh, through, and, and that, eesh, I don't really like that. That's, that's the situation. I... One thing that I thought of as I was studying this, when we watched the Super Bowl this year, at the end of the Super Bowl, we watched a little bit at the end, and, and, and some of those guys, you know, the media and the crowd, all of, they just swarmed them. And then uh, Tom Brady, who got the trophy, he's holding the trophy way up above his head, and he's trying to get to somebody, I don't know who he was trying to get to, but they, the camera was following him, and he was literally thronged with people. He could barely move. They had people pushing people out of the way as he was trying to get through. That's kind of the picture here of Jesus. He's in this crowd. People are trying to see him. Can you picture this? Can you picture just the... Think of a painting somebody might do of this scene. Of all these people who were... Here comes Jesus and they've heard the stories. There's some stories to tell now, aren't there? They've heard of things that are happening with this man. I'm sure there's rumors in the air. Who is this? And Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? What do they say? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Some say this and some say that. You know, isn't it interesting that nobody said some say you're the Messiah except Peter? And Jesus recognized Peter's statement could only come from the Spirit. 
These people did not know who they were dealing with. They, they obviously did not know, and even it seems like sometimes the disciples didn't know who they were talking to, what they were dealing with here. But, but yet there's rumor in the air, there's something about this man, and there's people everywhere, and you can see some sorrowful looks on their faces, some are excited. Maybe some people are taking their little ones and holding them up high so they can get a glimpse of Jesus. People are climbing trees. We know a story about that, don't we? A little guy named Zacchaeus who climbed tree to see Christ as he came by. Maybe some would circle around, go ahead of the crowd and kind of get in there and wait so they could kind of see his face. You know, this wasn't the day of internet and, you know, if, they would have not even known what he looked like unless they came to where he was and saw him. So, you know, they're trying to get a peek of him, trying to see who is this, this Jesus that we keep hearing about of Nazareth. Well, that's the situation. That's the crowd. Here's humanity gathered around the Son of God. People, and Jesus one time saw them like sheep scattered without a shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. What is that? Well, if, if everyone's turned to their own way, that's called anarchy. That's called chaos. That's, that's a situation more and more America is finding itself in. Everybody's just turning to their own way, doing their own thing. How can you have something like abortion, which is total insanity? It's a nation, it's a group of people who've gone completely insane, right? We talked about this in, in our teen class this morning. I mean, on this side of the table, you can kill the baby. But on this side of the table, you can't. Folks, that's insanity. On this side of the table, it's not murder, but on this side of the table, it's murder. That means we've lost our minds. That means we're going insane. How, how have we gotten so insane? Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. The heart of man hasn't been conquered through the blood of Jesus Christ that we just sang about. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on the Son, tis true, hath everlasting life. Not only does he have everlasting life, that's part of the good deal, but that's only a part of it. Your heart has been changed. You've been given that heart of flesh that was a heart of stone. And now God can work in you and the Holy Spirit can bear the fruit of the Spirit within you. And now He's your shepherd. And you're not a sheep going off astray. And now the this is how families work. This is how government works. This is how churches work. Only when this is conquered right here through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we can have things like abortion. Because sheep have gone astray. They've turned everyone to their own way. But aren't you glad the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all? Even if those sins have been committed in our lives, he's laid that iniquity on the Son of God who died for those sins. Well, here's this crowd. Here's the, here are these people swarming around Jesus. And again, the two main characters in our story here, those experiencing the pain and the loneliness and the sorrow as a result of this fallen world and sin is Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and this woman with this issue of blood. Let's look at them. First of all, Jairus in verse 22. Jairus, his name in verse 22, when he comes to Jesus, this is the situation that he finds this crowd in, this group of people. And of course, Jairus, Jairus is a well-to-do, probably well-known. He's a ruler in the synagogue, so it's make way, make way, right? And we can get into Jesus. That's how I picture it. 
And it appears that the mother of the girl doesn't come with Jairus. We don't see any indication of that. Very likely, as a mother would do in the case of her 12-year-old daughter literally dying at any minute, she's likely right there beside the bedside of her daughter. And she's only mentioned in the story one time. The mother, if we go to verse 40, she comes in with Jesus and the father and the three disciples. And that's where we see the mother of the damsel. Um, the ruler of the synagogue is Jairus. It would have someone, I thought this was interesting to think about, it would have taken courage for this man to come and fall before the feet of Jesus to plead with him for the life of his daughter. Because these rulers of the synagogue were not friends of Jesus. The tension was growing. But this man is desperate. This man has nothing else to do. She's about ready to die. And though everyone probably he knows in his circle is bent on destroying Jesus, he runs to Jesus and falls at his feet, pleading for help. Someone said, the ground is level at the feet of Jesus for all who have burdens to meet there. Prejudices are laid aside suddenly, aren't they? When there is no other hope. Jesus has hope. You know, isn't that true often in the Christian life? People, they hate Christianity. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't even know why they hate it. They, they, they hate Jesus. They use His name as a swear word. We were talking about this with our children the other day. You know, why, why don't you hear people using the name of Buddha as a swear word? Why don't you hear people using Muhammad as a swear word? But you hear people calling out Jesus Christ all the time. Or my God, my God, or all of these things. Well, there's reasons for that. There's, a, there's, a, there's an enemy to the name of Christ and, and all of this. But you know who runs when they have no hope? Those who have shown them love. Those very ones that they mock and they make fun of. If we show them the love of Christ, guess where they're going to run to when all hope is gone? To the very ones that they mocked. Here's Jesus, same situation. Same situation. Here comes, who, who knows if Jairus was in on the scheming before of putting Jesus to death. And all of a sudden, he needs Jesus. He's helpless and he's hopeless in this situation. And here he is coming to Christ. He has no one else to go to. Um, so we first meet Jairus in the presence of Jesus, the mother at home by the side of the 12-year-old dying girl. And isn't it true? Part, I guess, of these stories is... It's good for us to think about the humanity here. For us to put ourselves in these accounts. Not just read it as a Sunday school story or something that we've heard before. But think, think with me tonight. What if it were you? What if it were me? And think of a parent and his only daughter. We find that out in the text here. It's his only daughter, his only child. And she's dying. There's no love like parental love. Would you agree with that? There is no love like parental love. There's all kinds of love. There's the love of a husband and a wife, and there's no love like that. But there's also no love like the love for a parent for their child. Maybe grandparental love, but I don't know that. I haven't been there yet. And, um, but I've heard it's pretty good too. <laughs> but this parental love is a special thing, isn't it? Here's a man who is full of parental love, emotions, understanding of things, 
and, and maybe not even a, a child that you've born yourself, but, but sometimes people have adopted children or, or they've taken people in. Or it's, it's this love that until I had children, I didn't know what in the world it was. I, I didn't understand what the love of a father could be for a daughter or for a son until I had my own children. Um, he says, look at verse 23. I love the, this little part. And besought him greatly saying, my little daughter. That's something that, that God would have it be recorded that way. That that's what he said. My little daughter. We can have a true love for all children, but there's a difference when it's my little one. Isn't that true? I mean, that's just true, right? Amen? I love your children. I love, I love ministering to your children. I love being around your children most of the time. But there's no child like my little child. And isn't that true for you? That's, there's a parental love. God has given us that parental love. And here is this man in this situation. I thought about this. What a thought of being a child of God. Now think about that a minute. The Lord says we are his children. We are children of God. You are my child. What does that say about the love? If you've experienced what it's like to know that's my child, my love for that child, apply that to God's love for you if you're his child tonight. Isn't that something to think about? That kind of parental love. Where did that parental love come from? You say, does God love me like that? What could God know about that kind of love? You know where the love comes from? He created it. He made it. He gave it. And he has that kind of love. That's why he says he's the father and you're the child of God. Isn't that something to think about the love of God like that? There's a song that I've heard some people sing in the past. He loves me like I was his only child. Maybe you've heard that song before. He loves me like I was his only child. There's a sense of great love, great responsibility with your own child. A preacher can stand up and proclaim... And say, like here tonight, I could get up and I could say, it is your duty to do this. You must do this, such and such, whatever that might be. A, a preacher could get up and, 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 and we may or we may not listen to that. Hopefully we would. Hopefully we would be inspired. But we may not. We may go on. A preacher may get up and say, do such and such. Obey such and such for your own sake. And we might or we may not listen. We may not believe. But as soon as someone says, for the sake of that child in your home, do such and such, right? For the sake of that boy in your home, boy, that has a punch, doesn't it? Now they've gotten to me. Now there's something there that's driving in. And isn't it neat how God made that that way? For the sake of those children, he's conquered me. What a love God has given us for our children what a love God has for his children. My little daughter. Quite a picture of this ruler of the synagogue. Luke tells us that she's his only daughter. Again, she's 12 years old. We find out in verse 42. She's a young girl on the doorstep of entering into adolescence. So many decisions ahead. So much life to be lived. 12 years of age. Lying at the point of death. Think of it. Nothing needs to be added to that. We can all relate. 
Jairus is a type of so many who have suffered these kinds of things in this world. Jairus shows his faith. Jesus, just come and she shall, what? Live. What faith? Come and she shall live. Verse 24. And the Bible says Jesus went with him. Isn't that something? Jesus went with him. Again, Mark just gives us these details. Boom, boom. uh, Accounts. Jesus goes with him. Much people follow him. Uh, Much people are thronging him. Verses 25 through 34, we suddenly have another situation arise. It's like this story is just cut off all of a sudden, and we come into another account. As Jesus is going to the home of Jairus, suddenly we have this woman come on the scene and delays everything. I can imagine Jairus getting irritated in his mind. Can you imagine? This is urgent. My daughter is dying. Please come and help her. Jesus immediately starts following, and all of a sudden... He stops. Now, we're going to come back to that. Probably not tonight at this point. Um, So let's read the rest of the story of Jairus, and we'll come back. But let me just mention this first. I believe there's a reason why the Lord knew he was going to be delayed. And I believe the Lord knew that the girl was going to die. You know, there's another account in the Bible of the same kind of thing going on. Remember when Lazarus died? And they sent for Jesus, and he, st- he stayed for days, and he wouldn't come. On purpose, he delayed. Why? So that they could see something they did not expect they were going to see. And I think the same thing's happening here. A test of faith, the power of God being revealed. So many lessons that we can learn. Does God know what he's doing if he delays? If God delays in your life, does he know what he's doing? Does he have a purpose and a plan for it? He certainly does. If God delays, if God doesn't answer in the way we thought, can we trust Him? We can learn so many things from these passages about our Lord, about our God, and apply them to our own lives. Well, again, let's press forward now. Let's skip the section of this woman, and let's go to verse 35. Verse 35, news after the situation with this lady. News comes to Jairus that the, uh, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? That's it. Can you imagine the blow to this man? Can you imagine the pain? Your daughter's dead. And why do you trouble the teacher any further? Forget it. The friends were sure that Jesus obviously, could do nothing more. And this is where Jesus, in verse 36, as soon as he hears the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. When your world is falling apart, when our world is crashing down, at times people can be discouraging, just like the friends of this man. Isn't that true? You can cling to the promises of God by faith. you believe that? You and I can cling to the promises of God by faith and be not afraid and only believe. You say, well, yeah, but Jesus goes and heals this girl, right? Jesus brings her back from the dead. But in my situation, that didn't happen. 
Jesus heals this woman with the disease, but I still have the disease. It is true, those people saw some immediate great miracles, didn't they? But do you know what Jesus is? The Bible says He is the first fruits of those that believe. Isn't that true? He's the first fruits of those that believe. Do you know there's coming a day, and this is something Dad often says can make a Pentecostal out of us. There's coming a day when everyone who's in the graves are going to come out of those graves. Amen? There is coming a day when the dead are going to be raised up. That everybody who's gone into the grave, and boy, this gives us hope at a funeral, doesn't it? I heard um, at a funeral recently a pastor say, folks, you're standing on resurrection ground when we were out at the cemetery. It's the truth. Jesus Christ is the first fruits. And Jesus keeps saying stuff. I'm going to wrap it up here and we'll finish this later. Jesus keeps saying stuff like, they're sleeping. You ever wonder, no, they're not, Lord. They're dead. We know what sleeping is. You know, somebody said, I think this is true. This is God's view of death. This is how God sees death. We see death as someone going into the grave, and and it it seems so permanent, doesn't it? Because there's a separation, and, and it hurts because we're separated for a while, but it's not permanent. It's not permanent. Jesus Christ was the first fruits. Jesus Christ raised people from the dead in this day so he, we could see he really does have the power to be able to raise my loved one from the dead one day. You believe that? They will be raised. Now, there's a permanence coming. All are going to be raised. The Bible tells us that. Every single person who has ever died in this world is, is an eternal being. And they're going to be raised. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting destruction. This is called the second death. I don't want any part of that. The second what? The second death. That is permanent. But eternal life, aren't you so glad that is permanent? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, but they have died. They did go into the grave. But it's not permanent. There's coming a resurrection day. What a day that will be. You say, but I am sick. And I've been sick for more than 12 years. And it keeps going. Do you believe one day you'll be healed of that disease? Now, this doesn't mean Jesus can't heal us immediately. People have been healed immediately. People uh, have been prayed over and, and, and they're healed. People have been brought back who were on their deathbed. We're not discounting any of that. But the point is that this is the same Jesus. The same Jesus who we're talking about who proved his power. In these accounts is the same one, the same one who told us he's coming again. The sting has been taken out of death. We await the day when all who are in the graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God and come forth. Come forth. Let's just read the account, see what happens, then we're done. We've already read it once, so let's read it one more time. Verse 37. And he allowed no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he sees the multitude and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, here's Jesus again doing things that just look so crazy. He came, makes, 
What's wrong with you people? Why are you crying? Why are you making such a big deal here? The damsel's not dead, but she sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them out, all of them, except those three disciples, he takes the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and he enters into where the damsel was lying, and he took the damsel by the hand. What a picture of God, the Son of God, taking her little lifeless hand. And he saith unto her, Talatha, I'm getting that totally wrong, but I'll pretend it's right, Kumai, which is being interpreted damsel or little girl, I say unto thee, arise. Something to notice here, many believe Jesus spoke Greek, or, but this was actually spoken in Aramaic, which is probably the language of the family. And we see little pictures here of the kindness, the concern, the thoughtfulness, the understanding of Jesus as he's dealing with this one particular family. I say unto thee, arise, and straightway the damsel rose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years old, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. I guess so. And it's so interesting, as Jesus says these things, he charged them straightly that no man should know it. Don't tell anybody. But look at the last part. And commanded that something should be given her to what? You know, Jesus really is the great physician. He was concerned that she's been sick for quite a while now, obviously. And now she's been, well, sleeping, (laughs) dead. She needs something to eat. You know, if somebody was making this story up, I don't think they would have put that in there. Jesus said, give her something to eat. He made the body. He knows all about what we need and who we are. In these little details, we see the sensitivity of God to the needs of people. His understanding of who people are and what we're like. You know, Jesus knows when you need to eat. Jesus knows, he said, take no thought for your life. Um, I mean, our lives are but a vapor and the flowers of the field, they don't worry about things. And yet we tend to worry so often, don't we? And, And we fear. But Jesus says, be not afraid. Only believe. If you put yourself in the hands of the master, there is no need to be afraid. And you have every bit of confidence that you can believe him and you can trust him. Lord, we thank you tonight for your blessings to us again. You're so good. Lord, you know, I don't pretend to know the sorrow that, Lord, many in this room have undergone in their lives. And Lord, it's not taken lightly. That's not what we're saying at all. God, you know the sorrow. Lord, you, you have been touched by it because you became a man and dwelt among us. Lord, tonight we thank you for that, for loving your children that much. And you're touched with our infirmities and with our griefs because you know what it's like. So Lord, I pray that you give peace to these people tonight, those who are suffering and and those who have experienced these things and who can really relate with Jairus and with this woman. And and Lord, I just pray that you give us, Lord, tonight confidence. Help it to grow tonight, our faith in you. 
our faith in what you've done and what you've said. God, help us not to fear. Help us, Lord, not to fear what's coming tomorrow. Or, uh, Lord, help us to put ourselves in your hands and know that we're safe and know that whatever you allow, it truly is working out for our good and your glory. So God, we lift this up to you tonight. We thank you for this, these truths. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us. Help us to apply them to our lives. Lord, may this Christianity that we're living truly be real to us in our everyday lives. And Lord, we thank you as we talk today about abortion and about death and these horrors. We thank you that you are the God of life. That Lord, we see in these accounts. Lord, life itself walks into a room and death can't stand in front of it. Lord, we thank you for Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. God, help life to be just be seen in our lives, in our testimony, everywhere we go in a dark world of death. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.